Hello, this is FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the Dot Esports Podcast Network. I'm Ahmad Khan of Tom's Guide. The Overwatch League is currently discussing delaying its upcoming season into late 2022 or early 2023. This comes after Overwatch leaker Metro suggested that the game's sequel might be pushed into 2023. While John Spector, vice president of Overwatch Esports, has denied year-long hiatus rumors, sources have told Dot Esports that officials are considering a shorter season. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, certain revenue streams have been cut off for teams. It doesn't help that buying into the Overwatch League costs owners a minimum of $20 billion. Activision Blizzard has already allowed teams to defer annual franchise payments, according to a September report in the Washington Post. Underpinning all of this is the lawsuit filed by the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, which has accused the company of rampant sexual abuse and unequal pay for female employees. Already, brands like T-Mobile and Kellogg have pulled out of the Overwatch League. State Farm is reassessing its partnership, according to the Post. Joining me today is Jacob Wolf, Dot Esports' investigative lead, who broke the story along with Liz Richardson. Jacob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So, Jacob, before we get into the news that's happening now, let's kind of rewind and go back to 2020. What has been the state of the Overwatch League this in the past year? So 2020 was supposed to be really this big calendar year for them. You know, 2019 was, it was all right, but they really were banking on this homestand model coming into effect that they were going to be traveling around the world um, and doing these live events. And we saw sort of what that looked like. There were a few different events in New York and Dallas that we got to see, and then the world fell apart due to COVID-19. Uh, with that, the Overwatch League had to pivot in 2020, and we saw it move to completely online play. We saw some frustrations based off of online play at the time. We saw some players not want to participate in the league anymore uh, because of the pivot away from the home and away uh, homestand model. And it really just sort of broke the business equation the justification to the $20 million that you mentioned in your intro was that this was going to, there was going to be a way to make returns on that amount of money. If you had the ability to sell out arenas and make ticket money and alcohol money and merchandising money, like a traditional sports teams does, those mm -hmm. are not revenue streams that normally exist for most esports teams. So that was the whole pitch from the very beginning, that this was going to be different, that this was going to be unique, and it was going to be the first ever global sports league in that regard. Not just esports, but sports, that there were going to be teams that would go from Dallas and Los Angeles and go play in China on certain instances, right? And that there would be the ability to host these events and for money to be made back. And that just all fell apart because we have mm -hmm. a global pandemic where people were not traveling nearly as much as they are high infection rates, you know, uh, took a while for vaccines to come out and everything else that happened throughout the last year. And it's still an ongoing issue. And so both 2020 and 2021 have had sort of their hiccups and they've really shaken the core of this business at its foundation because it, it's totally counter to what this league was meant to be. So throughout 2020, by doing virtual events, I mean, how was fan reaction? Was it enough to kind of temper expectations given that there was a pandemic going on? Or did it ultimately leave fans kind of, I don't know, bored with it? And did they move on to other games? It's hard to tell because what also happened at the beginning of 2020 is that 
all of Activision Blizzard's esports titles, or at least their big ones, signed a, a multi-year deal with YouTube. Yeah. Which has different analytic reporting than Twitch. So it's not really easy to tell sort of sy- systematic ups and downs. A lot of those numbers are more private on YouTube than they are um, on Twitch and, and the ability to Twitch track uh, or Twitch track and everything else on that platform. And so uh, it's been hard to sort of tell. I mean, I think generally there's been a decline in interest in Overwatch esports over the past three years, really, since the, the league. I think it's just gotten worse year over year. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of that is because uh, I think a lot of that is because of the game itself, too. I think there was a period of time when the meta was in a really bad place with the goats meta where it was just kind of boring to watch. Um, there have been other times where the game is incredibly hard to digest for non-hardcore players because it is so chaotic uh, mm-hmm. in the game. You know, like it, it's essentially it, it takes the uh, most chaotic part of League of Legends team fighting and mixes it with a tactical shooter. So you're playing with all these different perspectives and all these different colors and everything else that you you see. It truly right. really is a mix of like a MOBA and a shooter. Um, and it's and so it's really hard for the average fan to digest unless they play a lot of Overwatch. Well, that I mean, that immediately caps sort of who your audience is. And when those player numbers go down, I think so does the interest in the league. And so to answer sort of your original question, I, I think that Overwatch Esports is in a better state than some games in this industry, but because it's cost so much to operate and that it does have such big franchise valuations attached to it, it's not in the place that it should be currently. I know it's always been kind of an elusive question, but do we have any idea what the current player base is like? We don't. I would say not good. Uh, <laughs> I think some of those numbers are confidential and kept pretty close to the vest for obvious reasons. But you don't necessarily see when you will get an Activision Blizzard earning report a whole lot of talk about Overwatch past mm-hmm. few years. You've seen a lot more talk about WoW expansions and Call of Duty sales and things like that that make them a lot of money. I don't think they're making as much money on Overwatch now, uh, and I think that's also d- indicative of a smaller player base. Hmm. Um, from speaking to investors, what sense are you getting? Do they at all regret buying into the league? I mean, I don't want to be careful here not to um, dance around on the parade and say I told you so, um, <laughs> because I have been a pessimist of the Overwatch League from the jump. Um, not because I think that the model is particularly awful, although I think it, it was kind of too ambitious from the beginning in the way that it was meant to be set out, but more so because those valuations and, and costs that these owners were committing to is, in some cases, 2x League of Legends, and other right. cases, so 10x other franchise opportunities. And for what exactly, right? Like, that's that's always sort of been the question. And so I've been sort of a pessimist from the beginning, and I would say there have been more people joining my pessimism corner than uh, the optimism corner. I think there are people <laughs> who are generally quite optimistic about their business and confident they can turn things around. But I do think that there are a lot of people who... I, I've never heard the word regret, but it's also hard to uh, it's hard to hear a billionaire or a millionaire admit their mistakes. I'll put it that way. And um, mm. I think that some of them do not want to be in the Overwatch League anymore. So I think they do regret it even if they don't say it. Um, and I think that there is a lot of 
pessimism, which is part of the, I know we're going to get to this, but it's part of why uh, this discussion about what happens next year is, is so important because I think there's pessimism about the current game and the fact that if they play another, another full league season next year, like they did this year on the current version of Overwatch, Overwatch one, then uh, no one's going to make any money. Basically like there's Mm -hmm. not really going to be a marginal return on, on this because, uh, not enough people are really watching to to bring in that return. I mean, from well, I, I guess I can't really force you to uh, speak on behalf of investors or you know at them. But I mean, if has there been any kind of analysis done by maybe a third party organization that can kind of put a value on current teams? So, for example, if like the Fusion or the Mayhem wanted to sell, uh, I mean, would those teams get a return on their investment? Depends, right? I think the last time we saw an Overwatch League franchise sell that I recall is the uh, Houston Outlaws, and that was when they were purchased by Immortals, who already owned the LA Valiant, and then they had to be resold uh, to a another group, and this was in 2019. Mm-hmm. The At the time, there was a deal that fell through that was supposed to be $40 million dollars the original valuation that was committed to and and granted these are pay over time agreements Mm -hmm. so it's not that it is not that the owners have to pay all 20 million flat up front um they essentially pay over time um as you mentioned with the deferment of the existing payments uh there was a a 40 million dollar reported deal at the time that was supposed to go through and it didn't the letter of intent was not fulfilled and as i understand uh the number was below that um and was mm-hmm. closer to what franchises sold for in season two which is uh 30 million plus um so somewhere in that middle and so i believe that uh there isn't to answer your original question no i don't think there's been necessarily independent value about what an overwatch league team would be worth but we also have not necessarily seen in some time essentially an accounting firm do those numbers to determine what it looks like on sale I cannot imagine, though, that they are worth $20 million. If, if they were paid out right, I don't think they would be resell, resold for $20 million plus. I mm-hmm. think they would be resold for less. I think that if you talk about enterprise value, which is what you're paying in liquid assets, stocks, cash, uh, plus liabilities taking on the existing, uh, you know, the existing agreement with Activision Blizzard to pay them over time, Maybe the number is closer to twenty million, depending on how much has been paid. But I, if we were just talking about, you know, there are no debts and it's just a straight cash deal. No, I don't think there were twenty million. <laughs> you know, another thing that I noticed throughout twenty twenty was uh, players leaving the Overwatch League for Valorant. Um, and you know, some of these players were big names. Uh, you know, we saw Sinatra, we saw Rockus, um, Baby Bay as well, if 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 I recall correctly. Um, so why are the league's top players going to Riot's new shooter? I think they were frustrated, as are still some of the players that have remained in Overwatch. They're frustrated with the development process of the game. Um, you know, I think... And, you know, what, actually, break that down. Like, what is the thing that's just frustrating uh, players? You know, there is a, a Discord channel that exists with pro players and teams and... Mm the overwatch development team are you in that, that didn't uh, no no <laughs> uh, although I've, i get the occasional screenshot of that channel and something it's gone awry mm-hmm. um but 
there that channel exists and uh that's good because towards the beginning of the overwatch league and the professional saying i th- feel like blizzard didn't even or people I, I feel like the players felt like uh blizzard didn't even listen to their concerns about the game period mm-hmm. so now they're listening but are they acting is the real question and for as much reverence as he gets jeff kaplan the former game director of overwatch um the man was very stubborn and he had his visions uh, for what he wanted Overwatch to be. And that's good because it would, I mean, I feel like the game was unified in its release. It knew what it wanted to be from kind of the jump. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's hard when you have someone with that much sway, power, and respect to make changes. So since his departure, I've actually heard a little bit of a mix of sort of optimism that that the Overwatch a team will be more open to feedback and, and advice from their top players. But I've also heard a little bit of pessimism about how the fact that this could impact Overwatch 2's sort of guidance uh, mm. because Jeff was was seen as someone who knew what he was doing generally. Um, and so I think it's a, a mixed bag. I, You know, each player has their own individual gripes, whether it be about the meta or the pace of the game. What I'm afraid of, and, I, and I'm hoping this sort of gets resolved, is what happens until Overwatch 2 comes out? Because I think it's become very clear to a lot of people that play the game at a high level that the game's not really changing anymore. It may get small patches and smaller updates, but we're not really going to see much content between now and the release of Overwatch 2 in the existing game. Mm-hmm. It will be kind of stale and it's been stale for a little bit even with the addition of more heroes so i think that's sort of the frustration among the player base is that it just kind of feels like for the next however long year or whatever until we get the next game feels like people are just kind of twiddling their thumbs and yeah i think some of them were really frustrated at that and they saw a financial opportunity in something like valorant where all of these other investors from League of Legends and other spaces are paying bigger salaries to jump to Valorant for some of these high-profile players than Overwatch League teams are playing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, if you're a player, why not take that? You're going to pay, you know, get paid double what you make in Overwatch to go play another game that's something new and exciting. I guess it makes sense. Hmm. So, you know, based on your reporting, what would delaying or shortening the upcoming season afford the Overwatch League? Uh, I mean, what what is the advantage of having that empty time? I think that it, I mean, it lowers, lowers operational cost. Sure. I think they, here's what they're balancing, right? So they have a level of commitment to YouTube for content every single year, mm-hmm. right? They have to do a certain amount of uh, events or broadcasts or whatever, you know, broadcast minutes, whatever it's broken down into that they have to meet. Um, they have that fight, that obligation. So they want to meet that obligation. They also have an obligation to the sponsors that stick around, right? If, if, uh, which I would imagine that a few will stick around or come back, um, depending on what happens with the DFEH, um, lawsuit. I think though, that the big thing is the longer your season is, the more money it costs. Right. And so there is a real concern about running a season on a game that everyone or a lot of people, both league side and team side feel is stale and just basically throwing money into a a sinking pot that, you know, it 
what are you doing it for? So I think that's why they're kind of assessing what next year looks like, because while I think the Overwatch League team, meaning like the league league ops side of things, has sort of a rough timeline of when Overwatch 2 will come out, there's always possible there's always a possible delay. And there's always the possibility that there needs to be adjustments to the game before it's played at the pro level, right? There needs to be a buffer between mm-hmm. release and, and sort of it being played at pro level. And if there is a delay, then I think they're in, in the game. I think they're sort of their hands are tied. So I think they're trying to find a way that can be committed to show that they're still committed to this project. That is the overwatch league while simultaneously uh, not costing everyone involved a ton of money to do something that ultimately no one really wants to do and just feels obligated to. You know, you mentioned the uh, DEFEH uh, lawsuit, so I I do want to jump on that. And uh, I think what's always kind of defined your reporting on the Overwatch League from when you were at ESPN and even now at DOT is your ability to really just get and have time to chat with people deep entrenched in the league, whether it be the ownership side or the development side, uh, or I mean, well, or the actual league side. So after this lawsuit came out, I mean, what, what have your conversations been with individuals who are really, uh, you know, who are connected to the Overwatch League? You know, I think that there is the Overwatch League's in a weird place in terms of uh, its corporation standing. Mm-hmm. in in Activision Blizzard. When they first started the Activision Blizzard esports entity, that is what runs the Call of Duty League and the Overwatch League. When they first started that entity as a spinoff a few years ago, it was under Blizzard, but sort of separate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is still sort of that way. Um, and Blizzard seems to be the more impacted entity of the two between Activision and Blizzard mm-hmm. in terms of sexual harassment, allegation fallout from people being fired from their jobs, rightfully so, um, and sort of everything else that's going on there. Leadership change recently announced with Jen O'Neill and Mike Ibarra taking uh, sort of the reins as co-leads of Blizzard and Jay Allen Breck outgoing. Mm-hmm. I think that the Overwatch League department is somewhat insulated from some of this, although I do know there are women that worked in the Overwatch League department that had experiences with other people in Blizzard that feel uh, maligned, whether Mm -hmm. that be in terms of pay or sexual comments made towards them. Some of those women have spoken out on social media. And I think that the Overwatch League, if I had to kind of compare it, is just in a bunker waiting for everything to settle. You know, like they're just trying to, because they're sort of a, a separate part of the company, but still a part of the company, they're just trying to let things calm down and figure out where this goes, whether it be, you know, the DFEH settles with uh, Activision Blizzard, which if I'm a betting man, that's what I put my money on mm-hmm. and just kind of let it play out. I think where this could impact the Overwatch League negatively is that if there are labor issues that uh, bubble up because of the DFEH issues, right, that are outlined in the litigation, say that there is more walkouts or strikes or whatever may happen, and those cause a delay to Overwatch 2 and its development, well, then we have the impact of what it looks like on the Overwatch League. 
Right. Well, that's what I wanted to ask. It's like, even if the Overwatch League does want to be more insular or in a in a bunker, I mean, yeah, it is very much dependent on Overwatch 2, which is on the Activision Blizzard side. And of course, sponsors are leaving the Overwatch League for actions that were happening, you know, on, yeah, over at on the that parent side level, too. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think that uh, they are being impacted by the things that are around them. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there have been issues. I don't want to say the Overwatch League is some perfect entity or Activision Blizzard Esports is some perfect entity. They're not. They have their own problems, uh, sexual harassment and otherwise. Um, but I think that uh, they're oddly detached and they are facing fallout because of their parent company and mm-hmm. what's going on there. And so it's, it's a weird dynamic. It's a really weird dynamic. Um, and I'm curious if I think there's going to be a lot of restructuring at Activision Blizzard in general because of the uh, DFEH lawsuit and things outlined here. You know, I think that Blizzard gets drawn in closer to Activision and corporate leadership as a result because they really have been two studios under one umbrella for the most mm-hmm. part. And they both have their problems, but it seems like Blizzard is sort of the one that has more problems of the two. And I think they get sort of drawn in and roped in. And I'm really curious where that leaves the esports department of this company because uh, now they are going to be impacted in that in some regard. Um, it's odd. It's really odd. I, I don't think that there's a an easy answer for uh, what happens here to them because of the DFEH other than what's happening right now, which is they're losing their sponsors uh their you know the development of the game could be impacted potentially a bunch of other things um Mm -hmm. but you know i think they're just trying to figure out how they weather the storm and you know speaking of odd it is odd that so much of the overwatch league is really banking on overwatch 2 changing its current trajectory i can't really think of other esports that deal with that issue i mean even smaller scenes like street fighter are perfectly happy continuing to play Street Fighter V up until whenever Street Fighter VI comes out. I mean, Capcom is still doing really impressive things, obviously. Uh, League of Legends doesn't need a League of Legends 2. I could kind of go on and on. I mean, what is it with, I guess, the Overwatch League and maybe Call of Duty League as well, where it really just needs to bank on the sequel? And what does that mean for the health of at least the Overwatch League as as a league and organization? So I'll preface this that this is a personal opinion as someone who's played Blizzard titles for 15 years. And I will say that lately, and I mean the past probably five to eight years, I think Activision Blizzard has had a real issue with player retention, Hmm. meaning they make games that are very good at drawing players in on release and very bad at keeping them long term. You see this with Call of Duty every single year. A bunch of people buy the new title in November, and then they play it for three or four months, and then they drop it, and then they wait to buy the next one. Hmm. You see this in World of Warcraft. New expansion comes out every year to 18 months. They pick it up. A bunch of people play for a month or two until they complete the content. They deactivate their sub, and they come back and the next time an expansion releases. That is a problem for esports. It is incredibly unsustainable. In Call of Duty League, what drives the Call of Duty League, frankly, is its personalities, its content. You know, so many of the big names in the Call of Duty League on the most popular teams, whether it be Optic or FaZe or whomever else, they are content people and entities. They draw in people because they're famous, they're celebrities. 
that's not really the case in the Overwatch League. And in fact, a lot of the people who were even on the brink of becoming that moved on to Valorant, like Baby May. <laughs> um, and so the Overwatch League has a real issue with having people involved that don't play Overwatch or are not hardcore Overwatch players. And when your business essentially is this sort of mood of, you know, we're just trying to uh, get players in to buy the game and not necessarily do the best job at retaining them playing the game, well, then you have a real problem with what you're doing. And it does impact your esports side of the company too. I think that to the health of the actual league itself and why this matters, I think the initial vision of the Overwatch League in 2017 is flawed. And it's been flawed from the very beginning. You know, I heard back at the time that there were discussions about the franchise valuations being lower and it, you know, not necessarily being that you have to create. There was the whole big deal about how you had to create a whole nother brand to be a part of these leagues. Right. Or you had to, in the case of the Call of Duty League, be brand exclusive like Optic only does Call of Duty anymore. And FaZe had to create a separate spinoff brand with another organization for the Call of Duty League. And I believe that both of those things have added significant pressure. The the franchise valuations and the separate brands have added significant pressures to these teams. And mm. I thought that was flawed from the very beginning. And I, I believe I'm right because now it's come to the point where, yeah, I think a lot of the league and a lot of the team ownership are just like, oh, we have to wait till this next game. You know, I feel like there's a, I said this on Twitter, but I feel like there's, this feeling of like, oh, well, we can grow a little bit year over year with Overwatch, right? Just, you know, we can get viewership up a little bit. We can, you know, maybe get more people engaged, sell, you know, sell more merchandise, et cetera. But it feels like we can't really do anything big until Overwatch 2 is here. Because that's going to be the moment that more people play Overwatch. There's huge marketing push to get people to buy the Overwatch 2 game. And we're going to try to capitalize on that moment and get them to watch Overwatch esports. You have to think of it as a spectrum, right? You have casual gamers who you know predominantly play things like call of duty and sports games and then you have sort of your like more hardcore gamers people that play overwatch sort of on a little bit of a level and then you have esports fans esports fans are incredibly generally incredibly like hardcore into whatever game they're a part of right they're they play the game a lot they watch the game a lot they're super in tune with their scene and when you don't have much of the former, the casual gamer and just the base hardcore gamer that has nothing to do with esports, it's hard to get people sort of like fast tracked onto the path to become the hardcore esports person. So it's right, a player based right, problem. Right. And they really hope that with Overwatch 2 release, there's a big boost in, in player base, right? Because they're going to push the game really hard and spend a ton of marketing dollars and everything else on the Activision Blizzard side, and that the Overwatch League can be along for the ride. And even if that happens, if that's the, the moment that we reach and that's what happens through the Overwatch League, I'm not so certain you still make your money back on, on the 20 million, 30 plus million valuation prices that you're spending. Mm -hmm. I, I, and, but at this point, right, they can, they can give deferrals as reported by the Post and everything else, but changing those contracts to be less money is an admission of defeat. And mm -hmm. I feel like you're dealing with parties both team ownership who are millionaires and billionaires and Activision Blizzard corporate executives who are billionaires feel like you're dealing with parties who are not very good at admitting defeat. <laughs> and so uh, I don't think they'll amend their deals. And but I, I think those deals are kind of flawed from the very beginning. 
You know, uh, I, I I did want to end this interview at that last question, but I do have I do want to pick your brain about one more thing, if you'll let me. Sure. Um, when it comes to a game like Rainbow Six, which had a a difficult launch, but got its act together and has now developed an interesting fan base, one that you know plays the game casually and you know makes comics and stuff online, um, and that seems to be growing at a decent clip and funneling into its more competitive scene. I mean, would it be possible for the Overwatch League to try and adopt some kind of a similar model that uh, Rainbow Six has? You know, I think the... For starters there, I, the Overwatch League is far more costly, costly than Rainbow Six Esports, yes. which is kind of part of the issue. Um, you know, Overwatch was originally supposed to be developed as a... a non-competitive game i don't think many people know that but when they were developing all the characters that are in this game it was not for the intent of building a shooter they pivoted into being a shooter and what's unique about overwatch in that regard is how much lore exists for each and every hero in the game right people mm -hmm. fall in love with these heroes whether it be tracer or mccree or hanzo there are People doing NSFW content around these uh, <laughs> characters. There are people doing, you know, various sculptures and and art around these characters. There's a huge portion of the community that loves the lore of Overwatch and the characters in Overwatch who do not care at all about playing the game. Hmm. And that's a problem. It's a problem. Like, it is... There was so much time investment in the sort of... The lore and the backstory of the characters of the game that I think that people didn't think about, okay, well, we can have people really interested in these characters, but how do we get them to actually play it and be engaged and make us money in some instances too, right? And that's sort of the issue with Overwatch, and I hope they figure it out with Overwatch 2. They are adding some sort of single-player experience, which I think will help. Not everybody mm -hmm. wants to play a competitive game, but still, I don't think necessarily the people that only play the single-player experience will be interested in Overwatch esports. So I think it, there's a lot of issues. It, it's always felt to me, and I've said this before and I'll repeat it, it's always felt to me that the esports scene is a mismatch for the game. Meaning, I don't think the, the model, although the valuations are astronomic and, and unreasonable, I don't think the model of home and away and traveling homestand, you know, sort of traditional sports influenced local franchising, I don't think that model is exactly flawed. I think there's an opportunity for that to work. I just don't think it works for Overwatch. If it was a different game that had a different type of fan base, maybe. I don't even think it's League of Legends. I don't think you apply that to League of Legends in anywhere other than China, and it magically works either. You know, I, I, China's been the only place that's seen, and we've seen some teams try to do, like, the city affiliation. Like, CLG's tried to become New York's team, and Dignitas has tried to become Philadelphia's team, because that's, you know, or now New Jersey's team or New York's team, um, as sort of part of their, you know, they have ownership ties there. And uh, no one cares. No one cares uh, about that element of it. You know, people are very fickle in esports. They care about teams that win. And I think, unless you're Cloud9 or TSM, uh, asterisk to that statement. Um, and so I just think it's it's hard. I, I feel like it's just a big mismatch from the beginning. And I'm not necessarily sure if Overwatch 2 is going to fix it, at least long term. You know, are we going to be here in four years talking about Overwatch 3 and how it's the last bastion to fix the Overwatch League. Maybe. <laughs> um, it, and that's going to be a, a real problem. I think they really do have to think long-term with Overwatch 2. And honestly, I think that's part of the reason that we keep hearing news about potential delays. 
is they're probably not very happy about where Overwatch 2 is right now. I think they want to make sure they get it right and fix some of these elements. And I I hope for the sake of the Overwatch League they do, because if it fails, it's a big blight on this industry, and I don't want it to be. <laughs> well, with that, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan, part of the .esports podcast network. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and share. For full transcripts of the show, head on over to ftwahmad.com. To follow Jacob, you can find him at Jacob Wolf on Twitter. To follow me and my work over at Tom's Guide, you can find me at Ahmad on Twitter. This episode was produced by Henrique Demore and Jacob Wolf. Executive producer is Kevin Morris. With that, we'll catch you guys next week.